a lot of people spend way too much focus on the GPU and want faster GPUs and kind of they become blind to all the other parts of the system. Even if it becomes on fire, it's not a big issue. Uh, so that's kind of the people who use it. The inside view. The inside view. The inside view. You're currently a resident at the Google Arts and Culture Lab where you explore the intersection between arts and machine learning. Uh, we both studied computer science at 42 Paris, a project-based coding school where students learn um, by doing things from scratch. And continuing this trend, um, you recently built from scratch an entire um, machine learning rig that costed you 25,000 euros. So um, yeah, to get started, um, for our listeners that are not very technical, what's inside a, a machine learning rig? Uh, yeah, no, so a machine learning rig is, um, you have, uh, I mean, it's, it's a computer, essentially. It's similar to Google uh, Colab, but, but you run everything yourself. Uh, so you have the motherboard, uh, you have the GPUs, the CPU, uh, the memory, I, I can go into all the details, but that, that's kind of the, the, the mo biggest or most expensive parts of, of the machine. Yeah, it costed you like a lot of money. How do you become the kind of person that like spends tens of thousands of euros in, in building your own kind of computer or server yourself? Yeah, no, I mean, if you're doing deep learning, uh, I think there's different thought schools. Some people say that you don't need a lot of computes and some people say that you need massive amounts of compute. Uh, I'm kind of more in, in the in the area where you need a lot of compute uh, as, as much as you can get with, within your means. Um, so when you're starting off, you're always kind of hunting for GPUs. Uh, I remember when I, I think the first GPU I had access to was from uh, 42. Uh, they had a partnership with IBM. They rented them, I think it was one or two P100s, um, which, which is a pretty, it's a pretty good machine. Uh, the only thing is that the IBM has Red Hat, which is a, a different type of operating system, which makes, so everything you want to install has to be kind of prepared for IBM, which makes it hard to be on, on the bleeding edge. Um, but yeah, and, and after that, I, I had a lot of kind of cloud instances. I uh, tried a lot of instances from Amazon, from uh, Google. And once you start kind of working on a daily basis with GPUs, you realize that you really need consistency. Uh, so I think like, yeah, like for, for me, when you're, when you're, spending say a week and you're kind of debugging your code you're trying to make everything work uh, and then when you run it you can have access to a gpu like oftentimes you run it on like cheaper instances they're called spot instances uh, so they're not essentially you can start start to run your program but if someone else pays for it your program stops and most of the time it works fine but like once every one or two weeks, uh, your instance will be interrupted. And when your instance is inter interrupted, you have, it's hard to do meaningful work because you kind of want to run an experiment to validate it, to see what's not working. Uh, 
So if you're doing that for a few months, it's starting to become really, really frustrating. Uh, and you kind of really realize that you want to have full control of your own machine, but also you want to be able to, yeah, not have your experiments and workflow interrupted. So having your own hardware gives you a sense of stability and control over your experiments. So you're not stuck when something crashes. Exactly. Yeah. And like you can access those instances on, uh, on these different cloud platforms, but they're often really expensive. Uh, I mean, you have to pay, I can't remember exactly how much, but it's, it's several times more than the, 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 what I spend on the rig every month to pay for these uh, different instances. If you want a realism. Right. Okay. So if you want something good, you would need to pay more than 20,000 euros a month. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so at what point when you were doing these experiments and it was failing, crashing sometimes because of spot instances, at, at what point did you think, right, I'm going to build my own thing. <laughs> this is my moment. Fuck, <laughs> fuck the cloud. I'm going to do it myself. Uh, well, it was, uh, so you can get access to uh, uh, startup credit. So if you're running a project that has a commercial potential, you can apply for credits from uh, Google and Amazon. Uh, so you can get probably around 20 or 30,000. Um, so I spent those pretty fast. Uh, and then <laughs> the first month when I got like my first bill of a few thousand euros, uh, I was kind of demoralized. I'm like, that, that's a lot of money. And it's hard because you're like, I just can't, I can't keep on spending this amount of money. And I think ever since I had my real first cloud bill, I'm like, okay, I, I need to figure out how to cut these costs. Yeah. So, so there was a moment where you like decided that, yeah, 1000 a month was too much, uh, in, in compute and yeah. What was the like timeline towards getting your, your own setup done? Uh, because yeah, um, you wrote a blog post um, about it, and and you said you had to wait months, uh, even like a year, to get the right GPUs. Yeah, no. So I think that's that's always a tricky question. Uh, it's kind of it, it's always really hard to know when to buy your rig uh, because as soon as you have kind of a new generation of GPUs. You have, I mean, between say 60 and 100% uh, performance increase. Uh, and that means if you buy it too early, I mean, that rig value is going to decrease a lot if you, if you buy it at the wrong time period. Uh, like now, for example, uh, NVIDIA and M M AMD and also Apple, but, but mostly NVIDIA because it's, it's, uh, they have the best compute platform. They're currently working on a new uh, GPU uh, uh, generation that's going to probably come out in the autumn. Um, and, and that was the same situation when I was going to buy it. Like I knew that they were going to learn something. Uh, and oftentimes the hardware leaks come, they come maybe like nine months before and they tend to be pretty accurate. I don't know if it's intentional or why that happens. Uh, but the GPUs from all the competitors tend to come out at the same time. And people know maybe six months before roughly the spec 
of these GPUs. Uh, so, so what I decided to do is kind of wait until this new infrastructure was coming out. So I probably first waited at least, I can't remember, like maybe six, six, nine months just to have the launch of the new GPUs. And then um, I think you wrote another blog when, where you explain how you try to build, um, to buy other GPUs, not the ones you ended up buying, but you couldn't even buy them because the website changed. It was like a crazy moment where you had like seconds or minutes to, to buy four GPUs. Um, yeah, I, I think this is hilarious. Uh, so if you, if you want to shortly yeah, uh, tell about it. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Uh, so it's when you're, this is because there's like such a long buildup and people get so excited about these GPUs. Uh, and also like what a lot of people in the industry call them is like paper launch. Because uh, often they, they kind of launch it, I think it's mostly for competitive reasons, but often they don't have that many GPUs when they launch. Uh, and it's more to kind of have it launched and then over the next kind of year, they start increasing the production and makes it available for, the, for people to buy it. Uh, but that means that when they're launching something new, it means that you just have like, like you don't have any GPUs at all, and you have so many people that want them. And it's not just gamers, it's uh, people in crypto, it's people in machine learning. Um, and I think over the years, people have become more and more sophisticated of how to buy these GPUs. And so there's several Discord communities that have different scripts, uh, different ways of automating these. Uh, and it's a bit of a gray zone because it's like you don't really want to do this, but also if you don't use scripts, you have no chance of buying them probably the first, I don't know, at least two, three months. Uh, and what a lot of people do also is that they buy them directly and then they sell them online to get more money and they're called scalpers. Uh, which are also people don't like. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's a bit of a gray zone, but it also it's like there's a lot of people that just buy them to sell them uh, online for a markup. Could you buy your GPUs from a scalper? Uh, that, instead of buying it direct from NVIDIA, just what, what would be the difference in price? Yeah, you can. Uh, it would probably be like twice the price, but it's also... It makes it harder if you want to, if it's not working, if you want to return it, for example, uh, it becomes a lot more complicated. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like, I prepared like at least a week in advance to just read about different tactics to buy these. And, uh, in, in the end, they, they kind of made it actually when they launched their, they had a course error. So they, they knew this was happening and the previous launch went so bad that they actually changed the web, web store. It, they changed the web store um, uh, actually 15 minutes before they were launching. So it didn't work for anyone uh, to buy these uh, online. Uh, but then I, I had friends that bought these, uh, but you, can actually, you can't buy several of them because then they cancel all their orders. So I actually got all the orders, but then they cancel all the orders. Because they noticed it was your credit card attached to it. Exactly, yeah. It was it was they were all sending to my address. 
<laughs> okay, so the your friends put your address. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so they're, they're kind of smart. Um, I guess if, if companies were to like have people uh, send everything to their to the company address, they would spot it as well. Yeah, so I think they, they actually they manually review every order, which which makes it hard to. So, so you can actually buy more than uh, one GPU. Like I wanted four uh, 3090s for my rig, um, but yeah. And yeah, the the funniest part for me was when like they kept changing the website. Um, so maybe like one week ago or a few days ago, uh, before the launch, they changed the. The code in the website so people cannot like build those um scrappers and so like people get like excited um and then exactly. like, people write new things and then it changes like the seconds before the launch and and you found something to like kind of still do it oh yeah yeah so, so yeah they they changed it you could see updates the entire week uh so yeah pe they launched something and people on like github had an open source project that that made contributions to to buy them and then yeah in the end they they had like a mistake in the web store so no one could buy any gpus and everyone like within one minute thought that they sold out but in reality their web store didn't work but if you had kind of a, a cache url of the store you could you could access the store directly uh, so you could actually buy them so if you you could access the cache on your computer and access like the old website you could access the URL of the web store that they didn't redirect to. That was the bug. Gotcha. Mm. And and then there was the second launch where you managed to actually buy it. Uh, no. So so what happens then is that they they do launches per per. So it's like every every week they launch like maybe twenty or a hundred GPUs. Uh, but then again, people have scripts that get notifications when these come out and they buy them. Uh, so I tried that for a few weeks and I still couldn't buy anything. Uh, and the more the time went on, I just realized I I'm never going to be able to buy these 3090. Uh, so I ended up buying the A6000, which is the, the, consumer, the prosumer version, which is... Uh, it's, it's a lot more expensive. So you have kind of the, the consumer, the prosumer, and the enterprise uh, GPUs. And uh, the, the consumer one, you actually can't use in data centers. Uh, if you're an educu educational institution, you can get uh, that kind of legal issue removed. Uh, but if you're a company or an individual, you're not allowed to put these into data centers. You managed to put your GPUs and your rig inside a data center, right? My first plan was actually to have a crypto style rig. So the problem with these consumer GPUs is that they're too hot, so you can't put them next to each other. Uh, so you can have two 3090s uh, in one case, uh, cases, and then, but if you want to have three, like actually I think my first goal was actually to have six GPUs, but uh, <laughs> I decided I wanted four in the end. Why four? I think it was the limitations of the PCUs that I wanted to use. So the power supplies, they were very power hungry. So you're, you're constrained in that. Um, yeah, so, but with the crypto rig, everything is open. So the, it looks pretty ugly. Uh, and it's also a lot more uh, vulnerable to dust and, and uh, other things that can, can destroy it. 
yeah, I think that's a great time to yeah jump inside the rig and like understand what are like the different parts inside it. So you said motherboard, PSU, or PSU because it's supply unit, and then um, yeah, the GPUs as well. <laughs> yeah, well, what are the like main ones without like going into too much details? Yeah, I think the the when you're building your own rig, the first thing you want to consider is kind of the the motherboard because everything comes into the motherboard. So that's kind of always your starting point. Um, and I, I my initial problem was that I think I wanted like my my first before I started doing research, I actually wanted eight GPUs. Uh, so I, I, I spent a long time figuring out what are the best motherboards to fit as many GPUs as possible. And in the beginning, I, I thought the bottlenecks was going to be how many GPUs you can plug into the motherboard. I later realized that the real bottleneck is the power supplies that, that comes to these GPUs. Uh, but yeah, so you have the, the motherboard uh, and, and the mother... But did you have a question? Yeah, for, for me, it's not like trivial that power supply would be a bottleneck. So if I can just put like more power into it, I could just like plug more and more GPUs. So I guess the, the problem comes from heating, right? The limits of heating eight GPUs, I guess. Uh, no, like the, the problem comes from uh, like the power supply units that are su uh, supplied to consumers. Uh, so today the maximum, like you can buy 1,600 bots like the cutting edge right now, but they're really hard to get. I tried, but I failed. Was two thousand watts, um, and these these GPUs are like it can be roughly between three hundred and fifty and like four hundred and fifty watts, depending on how you use them. Uh, so you can have that many before you reach the limit of two thousand watts. Gotcha. Uh, and 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 like you can have more power supplies. Uh, like that's what crypto people use, uh, but then you have you create a massive safety issue because if you're using two power supplies together, you have a very high chance of if you put two circuits together in the energy circuits, uh, you have a high chance of malfunctioning. So you, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, but what so what the crypto people do is that they they use cables that are that only transfer the signal and not the power. So when you connect a GPU to the motherboard, you have signal and you have energy coming through that wire. And uh, so the people in the crypto community, they add modules that only transfer the signals. And then they have like another power supplies going straightly to the GPUs, but they can only do that because in machine learning, you actually need so much data coming through uh, that you need you need traditional kind of connectors to the GPUs or PCA risers that they call, um, but yeah, in the crypto space they can use something else. Okay, so in machine learning you need to have PCI riser like some sort of connectors to move data around, but in crypto you just need to send some signals, and so you you can just like plug different um, power supply unit. Uh, to different GPUs, and you, you're good. Well, it's it's not really like you can only really buy like cheap parts, uh, mostly from Asia that are not really regulated in the European market because they have a high chance of a fire hazard. 
but but it's doable like a lot of people who do this they have like a garage uh where nothing can get on fire and it's kind of even if it becomes on fire it's not a big issue uh so that's kind of the people who use it how is that not a big issue if everything if the garage in the entire garage goes in fire well it, it depends on where you put it and like if you put it in a corner and depending on the walls and everything okay gotcha um yeah how's the like um crazy demand for gpus from the crypto space um i, I remember that nvidia changed their gpus so that crypto people would have an hard time like doing uh, their stuff um yeah do you know about those things so yeah so i remember nvidia changing their gpus so that it would be um easier for like machine learning people to do their experiments but uh kind of crypto people would be kind of limited uh in their like i don't know hash rate or something um uh, yeah so yeah that became a big issue because yeah a lot of the people who bought them were people in the crypto space um and yeah they implemented hash what i saw online that they kind of they leaked the code so people could unhack them pretty quickly uh but i guess long term they want to have different consumer segments uh probably one specific for ai one specific for gamers and one specific for the crypto crowd special gpus for people who like to um throw fire in your garage um exactly yeah so yeah you've mentioned the motherboard that is the most important um yeah do you have any recommendation for yeah what's the best mod motherboard out there i use as rock but uh you have i mean i i mostly went for these because they they have so many good connections i mean it's they have like the latest infrastructure built around AMD. Uh, so AMD is the supplier of the, um, the CPU uh, and they have the latest generation, which is called Epic. Uh, and I think they have a, even a, a new one. I think it's Milan. Yeah, I had a Rome edition and I think Milan is the latest one. Uh, but yeah, so other motherboards have other chipsets. So Intel has been very popular, but if you look at kind of the competition between Intel and AMD, AMD has really kind of surpassed Intel. And if you're looking at the next few years, they're likely to become even better. And if you're looking at a lot of the data centers, pretty much everyone is shifting to AMD, uh, mostly because like the, the GPU used to be the bottleneck, but more and more what you're seeing is actually the motherboard and the communication with all the pieces is becoming the real bottleneck. Uh, and AMD's uh, chipset is it, the strongest one on the market. Uh, and the motherboard that I went with is considered kind of the cutting edge in this area. To put numbers on this, how many cores and yeah, how much does your motherboard cost? I think it was around uh, 500 euros. Also, it's pretty cheap for like the most important part of your rig. <laughs> Yeah, well, like the GPUs is probably, yeah, they're the most expensive part by sure, but it's it's kind of the thing that connects everything. So that's the first thing you have to understand. Uh, but it's most part are comparably cheap to the GPUs. Uh, I mean, that you have you have the GPUs, the CPU, and then the other parts are often in the, in the, the same, same ballpark. So you, you, you buy this like 500 euros motherboard and you know where to put your GPUs. Then I guess you buy your GPUs. <laughs> um, 
what else? Do you need to buy something to cool GPUs and the CPU maybe? Uh, so you, the, the cooling is built in in the GPU, so you don't have to worry about that. You have to worry about the airflow coming into the GPUs. Uh, but the CPU, you, have, you can have it air-cooled or you can have it water-cooled. Uh, and like water cool sounds complicated, but most of these, the water cooling for CPUs is commoditized and they have like ready built systems. Uh, so essentially you have a fan and that's connected to water and that water comes to the fan. It essentially enables you to, to put the fan wherever you want. It gives more space in, in the, in the box. And you can also add like RGB and lights and make it fun and nice. So I actually started with like an RGB beautiful fan uh, when I, because when I first built it, I made like a consumer version and then I rebuilt everything to fit into a server that I can put in a data center. But in the, I ended up with an air cooling because they, they fit in an, a server cassis and they're, they're pretty full tolerant and, and they work really well. Yeah, I love the pictures you have on your blog. I probably linked the blog and the pictures um, below the in, in the podcast and below the video. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's what every gamer loves is like having those this nice water cooling with a bunch of bright lights. Um, so you said you, yeah, you put your you started from a consumer perspective and then you put it uh, in a data center. Why is that? Why did you change your uh, change your mind on that? Uh, yeah, no, so I, I built everything, uh, in my flat here actually, and it was beautiful. It's, it's like, it had like a glass, uh, it looks super, super cool. I love it. I love it too. Uh, yeah. And then I put it on and I realized that it was super loud and it was, uh, it got really hot really fast. Uh, so I think the best comparison is if you ever like, uh, being at your country house and you have like one of these air uh, where you remove the leaves, uh, where it's like, it blows, blows air. So it's like one of these and then, but with hot air in your apartment. So it's like loud and super hot. Uh, and I realized it was, it was hard to, to have that on 24 seven. And was it like in, in winter, um, or maybe like spring, summer? Uh, this was in the winter, but even even then, it got really hot. I think it's yeah, it got hot and loud. So you you have to have your window open all the time, essentially. Were you able to sleep, or would you just uh, stop the trainings during the night? Uh, like for me, it's okay. Uh, but uh, my girlfriend, who's living in the same space, uh, for her, it was a lot harder to deal with all that uh, sound and, and heat. So she she didn't care uh, enough about the tensor board and the and and the <laughs> going down. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't care about the lights. Yeah, no. But but like I even even for me, I felt that it was it was too much. I mean, if if you're really hustling, uh, you can do it. And I think ideally you can put it in an office where you don't where you don't have to sleep, and then you can open windows and and cool it. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I worked in an office with doing deep learning where we had um, maybe 16 GPUs uh, in a room and even like opening windows all the time. It was like a sauna. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, they're really good at providing heat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so how's the transition between consumer rig to like putting it in a data center? Like how, the, 
how do you do it? Like, do you call the data center and you say like, hey, I have this this thing, can I put it there? How much does it cost? Yeah, uh, so, so in the beginning, I wanted to find like an office space that I could put it in. Uh, but the problem there is that you need a private office, again, because it's so loud and so warm, you need kind of an, an air-conditioned room. So you wanted to buy an office just for your GPUs? <laughs> well, I wanted to work there at the same time, but I realized, yes, again, if I'm, I'm going to work there with, the, with this uh, beast of a machine, it's going to be loud and, and hot all the time, even if you have an air conditioner. Uh, and also, I think the main issue there is that if you want a private office in Paris, it's pretty expensive. Uh, and you can get a lot more interesting uh, places if you go for co-working options. Uh, so I realized if, if you have like a private office, it's probably between 800 and 1,500 years a month. Uh, but a, a co-working desk is probably around 300. Uh, and if you look at a data center, it's uh, I, I got the cheapest one. So there's a formal line where you put in what you want and they send you invoices from all the data center providers in your region. Uh, and I'm paying, I think, around three, 400 per month to host this machine, including electricity. Pretty decent compared to like having an electricity bill plus running a space in Paris. Exactly, yeah, it, 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 it adds up for sure, yeah. I mean, that, that was on the cheaper end. I think mo most of the data centers, co-locations, they're probably going to ask you for at least a thousand per month. But if you find, find it like a new, uh, like a startup data center or it's slightly cheaper, you, you can save money on that. Like, did you become a better researcher from like all this building and, and, and finding the part online? Uh, do, do you feel like now you're able to think more clearly about uh, deploying research and trainings? I would say yes. When I started deep learning, I felt that at the time, this was probably like maybe five years ago, uh, there was a lot about architectures. Everything was kind of about interesting uh, architectures. Uh, and we kind of slowly shift towards bigger models uh, and also doing kind of architecture search. So even if you're doing small scale research, you can still benefit from architecture search, which requires compute. So even if you're working on a toy problem, you require a lot of compute and you work on a big problem, you also want a big compute. Um, and if you look at most of deep learning, it has to do with throughput. So like how fast can you get the, the training cycle to go? And if you're swapping between different data providers, you never really have full control of the, the RAM or, or the kind of the hard drives. Um, and you don't really get used to it and you never really understand it. But more and more, it is becoming important to actually help to move data as fast as possible. And I think in this case, it really helps to have your own machine because you can optimize everything as you want. If a part, if you find a bottleneck, you can actually switch that part. You understand how that part contributes to the entire machine. Right. So you're saying that you could, uh, if you if you have access to all the parts, you can just like add one more GPU or or, or change this power unit because you understand the problem um, instead of um, having to to move to a different provider cloud instance. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was a really interesting open source project that I'm praying with now. It's called FFCV. 
uh, and they made like a 35x improvement of a ResNet with an A100, uh, which is kind of insane. And and the benchmark is a little bit is a little bit unfair. Uh, but but their core argument, which I find very compelling, is that a lot of people spend way too much focus on the GPU and want faster GPUs, and kind of they become blind to all the other parts of the system. And you really want to consider, I think right now, most researchers, uh, they would benefit mostly of in- increasing their pipeline. Uh, and a good way that they said to kind of understand if your pipeline is weak or not, is to, to remove the, um, uh, the data process line entirely. So you're just creating dummy data uh, that feeds directly to the GPU. Uh, and then you can, you know, kind of the theoretical maximum for your training loop. Uh, and they say that you need kind of 95, 95% of that speed. Uh, that's what you should aim for when you actually add the training loop that, that gets data from your SSD or your hard drive or your ROM, whatever you feed your data from. So they're adding artificial data to know what would be the ideal trope throughput, and then um, they try to aim for 95% of that. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, what was the 35x increase in? Is it like speed or, I guess it's not accuracy, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, like the, yeah, no, it was it was the speed. Uh, and it's mostly because it, they're using A100s and A100s are incredibly fast GPU. Uh, and that becomes so it never is really the bottleneck in these training loops all of the bottleneck if you don't optim really optimize your training loop almost all of the bottlenecks come from the cpu side and and from from loading the data into the model so it's a comparison between a 100 um in like in, in workload time so you compare this to like another rig and you're like oh it's 35 uh times faster Exactly. Yeah, they, they compared different way of loading. So they created their own library to load the data. Uh, and also, this is interesting because they they put the entire data set in one file, which is kind of uh, counterintuitive. Uh, but it kind of makes sense because you can use storage. Most of the storage of the hard drives, uh, when you have a lot of small files, it becomes really inefficient to read them. Uh, but if you put everything in one file, you can make the reading of these files very efficient. Uh, and if you can make the reading of the files really efficient, uh, you can actually have storage that's slightly cheaper uh, than having, say, uh, SSD, which is... So on SSD, I have four terabytes, uh, and they're, pretty, they're really expensive to buy, and they also have limited capacity in your machine. Uh, but with hard drives, you can get, I have now 20 terabytes, but I'm probably going to increase with another 40 terabytes. Uh, and this allows me to have data sets that I can kind of feed directly into the GPUs. So having enough SSD, you can directly feed data uh, yeah, from the SSD to your, uh, to your model without having to like read from your hard drive. Uh, well, like the SSD, uh, and then you upload it to the to the to the RAM and the memory. Right. Uh, but if you have an SSD, it's easier to access files because it's it's a lot more optimized for that. 
you could say that instead of having to change your instances all the time, you could have your own rig and change the parts whenever you have a different need. Um, so that that would be if you're Emil Valner and you and you you love like digging and spending more time into this, uh, and you have like yeah the energy motivation and um, you're curious about all of this. But if you're like let's say a student, a PhD student, or you work at a company that has their own GPUs, um, would you would you still like advise them to do it um, if they're they are on like an, a low budget or I don't know their university gives them one or two GPUs sometimes? Uh, yeah, I think it's it makes you can you can use uh, Google Colab and also Kaggle, uh, but they have the kind of the workflow issue that I talked about earlier. It's kind of you load an instance, it disappears. You might have have access to GPUs, and if you're doing kind of really hard debugging, it becomes really frustrating to have these interruptions. So I think for for like the lowest budget you can get is probably to get an existing machine buy like a secondhand PC uh, in a box. Uh, and you can often get like buy a lower end of the latest GPUs uh, or a secondhand GPU, even a secondhand GPU are, are really good nowadays. Uh, but I think that's kind of the best value for money uh, if you're on a budget. What about like using, so, I think like students or researchers are at an AI lab have access to the GPUs from their lab. And at a company, you mostly train on the GPUs from your company. Um, like when when do people like when would people need to 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 have their own hardware to like run more experiments uh, after work uh, <laughs> or uh, to to have their like indie projects on the side? What what was that why you build your own thing? Yeah, one thing is when you're having like if shared resources in a company or, or university. Uh, for example, I had, I was using the school one, and it works fine when you stole, you link all the libraries, and then someone else uses uh, the the machine. And depending on what they do, they can unlink a library or change something. And then when you come back and run the same script that worked for you, even if you have a virtual environment, it might not work for some reason. Uh, and that becomes very frustrating. And then you have to spend, I mean, linking libraries can take hours or days if you're unlucky. And if you, if you, because when you start fixing things, you can break other things. Um, so that can become very frustrating to, to not control that your own environment where you're working from. So I think like for me, I take, I take my work environment very seriously because I, it takes so much energy and focus. Uh, so I think that's one aspect. The other one is, if you want to create your own ideas, your own projects, often if you have company resource, for example, everything that's made in a company resource is owned by a company. Uh, with schools, like a lot of the US universities tend to have pretty like hard IP uh, situations. So a lot of the things that might be made on a, on a university might be owned by a university. Uh, so that's something you want to check out. Any other like variables or things to consider? Um, like I know I know people. Look, so, you, so you mentioned like SSD. Um, then there's uh, I guess the the entire RAM for the, the entire rig, um, the RAM of the GPUs, um, and you mentioned heat, sound. What's the other like important variables that you remember? 
so yeah, I think like the 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 ROM is very important, um, and I I went for two hundred fifty six gigabytes of ROM, which is pretty high. You can probably get away way with slightly less, but ROM is always, I feel like it's it's always something that you struggle with and it always breaks. So it's, I always tend to max out pretty much everything. Uh, I mean, you can go for, so I went for 32, eight times 32 sticks. You can get 64 uh, gigabyte sticks, uh, but they tend to be a lot more, more expensive. So oftentimes when you're buying a rig, you kind of want to figure out what's the cutting edge that's consumer friendly. You can go to like the bleeding edge, but then often kind of the, the value for money decreases a lot. So you kind of want to be not too far, but, but, but pretty far. Right. So there's um, decreasing returns in having one terabyte of RAM. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I realized that having enough RAM to sometimes load your data in RAM uh, to, to have like super fast training is kind of uh, interesting. Yeah. And I think yeah, the last part is like the 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 the, the cases that you're going to put your all the hardware in, um, and I think what's good to consider there is that there's a lot of dust in the air. Uh, it depends on where you're living, but all of this dust and everything in the air kind of because it sucks in so much air it comes into these hardware particles, uh, and depending on where you put it, these hardware can actually last a lot longer, several years in, in certain cases, depending on where you put it. And so if you have an open case, it's especially vulnerable. Uh, and if you have it at home, if you have it in a data center, often a lot of the areas, it's kind of filtered several times and you have so many machines kind of that are, are processing the air that it gets filtered out. So the hardware in these boxes lasts a lot longer. And then you kind of want to look at where the fans are located. Uh, to make sure that the airflow is coming in and that it makes sense. Uh, and it makes a big difference. Like I know the CASIS, I can't remember the, the, you can look in the article, the name of the CASIS, but like the previous generation, they didn't have fans on the lid. Uh, and now they have fans on the lid, but that creates a lot more airflow directed to the GPUs. Um, so I think you really want to look at where the air is coming from. That's awesome. So I guess I would never have thought of yeah, the different airflow or the dust. And that's something you learn the hard way from having a lot of dust on your uh, machine. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, w I would even consider yeah building my own like fan setup and <laughs> before the GPUs so to, to be sure of the space it takes. Um, yeah, so you mentioned as well um, AMD uh, bypassing Intel in, in sales. Um, and recently there's been Apple launching the new uh, M1 Ultra. Um, and they say in the announcement that they would even compete with the RTX 3090. I think you mentioned that one as well. So yeah. um, who, who do you think will win the race between NVIDIA and Apple? Uh, yeah, no, so, so I think that it's actually you have AMD as well. Uh, so AMD, they, they launched a GPU uh, last year that was competitive to the 3080 and 3090. However, their software libraries are not as strong as the NVIDIA ones. Uh, and when you're doing research, it's like you don't want to innovate on too many fronts. It's like if you're using AMD, you're going to have a lot of software issues 
and that's going to take up maybe 20% of your time. Uh, so ideally, how I optimize things is that like I want to do as little work as possible that's not related to what I'm doing. Um, but I think Apple has made, I mean, they weren't really in the game just a few years back, and they've kind of made a, a completely uh, new direction, which I find very interesting. And I have a lot of friends who've been using the M1s uh, and the Apples, and, and they've shown some really impressive benchmarks and results. Uh, I think for most people today, they're still using NVIDIA just because most of the world's libraries are built with NVIDIA in mind. So you know that that has the highest chance of working. But I know that AMD has been re pushing really hard on the software side. So I wouldn't be surprised that in, I mean, I think everyone in the industry is like another year and AMD is going to be in, in the game. But, but I think it's getting closer and closer to when they're going to be more competitive with NVIDIA. And I think Apple has the same problem. I, I just saw like last week that they were hiring PyTorch developers like crazy uh, to really step up uh, the game on that front. And if you can have like the, the libraries that people are using on a daily basis that work really, really tight, I think then you have a strong case. Exactly. I tried to train a model using the GPU of an M1. And uh, right now PyTorch doesn't support um, GPU training. Um, at least last time I checked. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, Apple, they went from Intel to AMD. So they they were with Intel for decades and, and they switched to AMD. So that's why AMD went up. I think that, yeah, I think they're using ARM as well. So it's like a, a company where they can kind of de design their own hardware they're part of the process. I don't know exactly how it works, but they're moving more and more towards their own architecture. Do you personally have more stocks in Apple or Nvidia? This is not investment advice. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm I was really bullish on AMD like a year ago. I had I had like a lot of assets in AMD because I thought they're fairly. If you compare it to Nvidia. They're undervalued, so you want to look at the growth potential. Uh, and they're kind of, if you look at every conference they have, they're just really pushing the what they've been doing. And, and they didn't used to be a competitor just a few years ago, but now they're kind of just becoming the default uh, hardware in, in so many server cases. And, and they're pretty close in AI, but in game especially, they, they've been pushing to become like a market leader or not probably not the market leader, but, the, but they're getting close. I think Nvidia, they have, they have the longest legacy. Uh, if you look at Nvidia's conferences, the last years, they they're pushing a lot of software things. Uh, and for me, I, I mostly interact with Nvidia from the hardware side. So when they have like an entire conference talking about software, I get a bit annoyed. I'm like, where's the hardware? Where's the new launch? And I get a little bit pissed. But I also, I think that's also partly why they're so strong because they're developing so much software in-house and developing so many things that they have a tighter relationship with the hardware. If you are companies that only work with the hardware and they don't have a big software ecosystem, it's hard to catch up with that. So they kind of eat their own dog food by uh, building the software layer so they understand the needs of people building things on top of that. Exactly, yeah. I think they're, they're both cutting edge on the hardware, but also they're cutting edge on the research 
in these different uh, disciplines, everything from ray tracing to computer vision and whatnot. NVIDIA was famous for scaling up those GAN experiments, um, those tile GANs, tile GAN 2, I think it was NVIDIA lab. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, and what was crazy was how much they would they would scale, like how big those experiments uh, became at, at some point. Um, and recently there's been kind of a competition between um, OpenAI, Chinese labs, Facebook, they're, they're all like having those massive hardware setups with, um, I guess, hundreds of A100. So the, the A100 was the crazy GPU you mentioned before that, that gave a 35x increase, and they have like hundreds of them. Um, so do you, um, personally, as a prosumer, um, like, do you feel you're you can still compete in the AI research and is it going to last um, uh, long <laughs> before you're like far behind everyone else? I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking about like, what's the next step? Uh, so I have, currently I have four GPUs and I think my next, because that's kind of what fits into a prosumer case with the motherboard and the energy supply and everything. That's kind of the upper limit. Uh, you have to go to like a more traditional ready belt server to go up to eight GPUs. Um, and that's, yeah, mostly because everything is different, like the power supply is different, everything is different. Uh, and it becomes a little bit harder because you can't buy the enterprise parts separately and build everything yourself. You need to buy kind of the CASIS and the motherboard and start in pieces. And then you can, you have some freedom, but it, it becomes a lot less. So, and I think if you connect them, you can have two, two, if you have one server, you can have actually 10 maximum. Uh, but if you want to have 16, you have to have eight in each computer, and then you can have a, a link uh, between them. I think it's called Mellanox um, networking uh, solution. Uh, but yeah, then, then you can have 16 GPUs. So uh, that's kind of the, what I'm saving up for now. Uh, I mean, you're always kind of looking at what's the next step, how much, uh, how much resources do I need to have to be able to do that. But I think that these massive uh, kind of data centers, uh, like the research I'm doing now on four four GPUs is like I think you can do really amazing things with with four GPUs, uh, and especially if you start optimizing all the layers of your code. Uh, I think a lot of people, they have a lot of GPUs, but the code is so unoptimized that someone that optimizes their code, they can, they can beat someone with like 20 or 50 GPUs if, if they're really good at optimizing all the layers of their stack. Uh, so like the, if you work on a problem for a long time, you can optimize a lot of things. If you're trying to prototype things a lot and you want kind of more rough code, you want to be able to run it really fast, you want to kind of do a lot of hyper-parameter researchers, then it, then it, then you benefit from having a lot of GPUs. Also, like with a lot of GPUs, you have the problem of politics because it's so expensive. Who gets to use these GPUs? Uh, so you have that can that can become an issue. That's why you build your own thing so that people don't come and 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 just steal your GPU. Exactly. Yeah, but you you also you also. That's also something that I noticed because I got accepted to like the the TensorFlow research uh, labs. So you can you can get access to a lot of TPUs, um, 
And I was thinking about using these resources. So when they made the, what's it called, GPT-NEO, a Luther lab. Yeah, so they use these resources, uh, but it's only TPUs. Um, And if you have, yeah, if you have a lot of like millions worth of compute with TPUs, you need to rethink everything you do. You need to rethink all your libraries, uh, how you're working, how you're debugging. Everything becomes different, so you can invest your time in this, and you can use these, these GPUs. But as soon if you can't access them anymore, you have this mindset and these these kind of resources that you can actually use. They're a lot harder to bring down to a, a smaller setting again. So it's kind of a different mindset on how you work and the problems you can tackle when you have different uh, GPU resources. So you need to have a different mindset in how you manage your resources if you are using TensorFlow um, with, with like, um, I think it's TPU instances uh, that are not um, used by um, maybe Google at some point and, and you can access them while they're unused. Exactly, yeah, they have, they have uh, like a research. I think you actually, you, you, book, the, you book the TPUs for, for uh, I think it's one to three months uh, that you can have a, a lot of resources. But I think if you if you start with small compute and you learn how to kind of squeeze out all of the juice in a small box, and if you gradually keep increasing the size of a rig and always understand how you juice everything out of the box, I think then when you get to these bigger settings, you become very, very effective. But if you jump from like a Google Colab to like 100 GPUs, everything is going to be so ineffective that you're just going to waste so many resources that I don't really know if it's worth it. So you would start with your own rig and then build more and more GPUs until you have enough to train an entire language model with billions of parameters. Exactly, um, exactly. I, I don't think that's how Eleuther AI went. I think they started with this TensorFlow uh, mesh, so the, this kind of framework to use those unused uh, TPUs. And, and it was a struggle. Um, and then they changed their software layer and went with JAX. Yeah. And and then it was much easier to debug. And I think they're like sponsored. They were sponsored by like by another company that gave them free <laughs> compute. But yeah, no, I was I was I went down that rabbit hole and started writing it, uh, TensorFlow, but on TPUs. And then then like every like test case, everything is super clear. You run it, everything works, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. As soon as you want to change something, it doesn't work. And at the time, to debug it, you had to look at like the memory footprint of these GPUs, and it's kind of just pages of memory. And I was like, this is unbearable. Like, if, if I want to do anything productive, I just can't work with this. So yeah, I, I imagine JX and other frameworks are, are probably a lot more efficient now. Were you uh, personally impressed by what they achieved by producing the experiments from GPT-3 and GPT-3 in general? No, I, th- I love what they're doing. I think it's, it's super impressive what they're able to achieve with their kind of uh, 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 their, their collective of researchers uh, and doing it in such an open and transparent way. Like all the decisions they're making, they're, they're attending a lot of podcasts, they're talking about the decisions. Um, and yeah, now they're actually sponsored by a company who's providing that those resources. And I think from their side, it was pretty clever because they made these yeah, the GPT-Neo with this compute, they show that they can do it. 
And there's so few people in the world that actually have hands-on experience of these kind of large uh, GPU sets. Uh, so I think that makes their, their experience very uh, wanted. And that, that's why it made sense for this company to work with them because it's hard to hire these people uh, because m- most of them go to bigger companies. And I think we can say the same for yourself. You built your own rig. You have experience doing your own experiments, uh, your own trains, uh, putting in data center. So um, I'm looking forward for more companies to uh, sponsor your indie work. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I will um, yeah, link uh, this video to NVIDIA and other uh, companies. Um, your blog will be uh, down below. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, knowing more of your experiments uh, and everything you build. So yeah, whenever you build your uh, 16 GPUs setup, please uh, give me a call and uh, I'll have you again on the podcast. That sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me.